Well, good morning there, Valley Bible Church. It is great to see you. Thank you for joining us here on our online platform. We are journeying through the Gospel of John. We're about to close out the last part of John chapter 4. And before we get there, I want to ask you a question. I want you to, to think with me for a moment. Have, have, you ever, have you ever missed a moment? Have you ever uh, missed an opportunity and, and immediately you regretted it? Or, or maybe think on a more positive note. Have you ever seized a moment or have you ever taken an opportunity and, and, and really brought out all the potential that it could offer? Try to, try to recall a memory in your mind. Maybe it's, maybe it's that job interview. I mean, that you just nailed that job interview. I mean, you had the people just, just eating out of your hand and, they, and they, were, they were begging you to take the job, it seemed like, at the end of the interview. Or maybe... Maybe the moment that you captured was a, a romantic moment. Maybe you finally worked up enough courage to ask that beautiful coworker out on a date and your, your charming choice of words and your, your flattering and, and, and respectful advances and your thoughtful uh, selection of her favorite restaurant made that invitation irresistible. Seizing a moment like that can be so memorable and so fulfilling and so satisfying. And maybe the memory that you can recall is, is a work-related memory, or, or maybe it's a romantic memory. But what about a spiritual memory? Have you ever had a spiritual moment, a time that you just captured and you brought everything out that it could offer? Maybe a friend shared some pain or a, a, a moment of weakness or... or or, or, or maybe it was just a curious question that your friend had. And, and you seized that moment. You seized that opportunity. And you shared the message of Jesus Christ. And you saw their life change forever. A lot can happen in a moment. You can get the girl. You can get the promotion. You can get the job. You can see somebody's life changed forever. Well, how do we seize those moments? How do we take those opportunities? How do we not let those things uh, miss us or, or we miss them? Uh, there's so many things in our life that are just always cycling around us. All the needs, obligations, and priorities, all of us have them. And it's in this kind of constant whirlwind of, of priorities, and we're trying to move from one to the other, hoping we don't lose one or, or break one or, or miss one. How do we have time and clarity of vision to capture those moments, those significant moments. How could we not miss those? Our perspective has to be clear. Our vision has to be clear. We have to always be looking for those moments and not let them pass us. And this is what Jesus is really going to try to press into the mind of his disciples as we close out John chapter 4. So let's just go there. Let's go. We're about halfway through uh, the chapter 4. We're in verse 27. And as we get there, I just want to summarize kind of Jesus' teaching to you and our big idea for this morning. We always like to have one big idea, one kind of a big phrase that, that, that we can give you to kind of summarize what we're trying to communicate in the entirety of the message. So if you're going to write anything down, I want you to write this down. If you're going to tweet anything from this message, this is what we want you to tweet. We want it to make it small and memorable for you. But I think the main idea of Jesus' teaching and our big idea for this morning is this. Don't miss the moment for a meal. Don't miss the moment, that significant moment, that life-changing moment for a meal. Just a need, a, a random obligation in your life. We all have needs, and we all have obligations, and we all have priorities, and they're all good. Just like a meal, we all need to eat, we all need to be fed, and we all need to feed our families. But sometimes what happens is we just get lost in the clutter of obligations, the, the clutter of priorities, and we can't see the moment that's right out there for us to have somebody's life changed. And Jesus is going to press this into the mind of his disciples as we close out John chapter 4. Let's start verse 27. We're about halfway through here, the interaction that Jesus has with a woman at a well, a woman of Samaria. And we went through the majority of her kind of personal conversation with Jesus. And that's wrapping up where we are. So let's look at verse 27. 
The disciples had gone out to get Jesus' food, and now they're coming back with what they bought at the town. Verse 27 says this, Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Now stop here. We got a little hint of this before, how kind of odd, strange, and taboo it would be for a person of Jesus' stature to be speaking to a woman in public. Jesus was seen as a rabbi. That means a religious teacher of the day. And a rabbi would not converse with a woman in public. We know different rabbis would write about this time, and they would instruct other rabbis that they should not speak to women in public, not even their own wife because of the fear of gossip. Rabbis were so concerned with inappropriate conversation between two genders that they said, you know what, we're just going to eliminate that. We're just not going to speak to each other in public because we don't want people to think the wrong thing. Well, it seems that Jesus' disciples were men of their own time. And so they saw this interaction and they thought, this is a little scandalous. It says they marveled at this and they had these questions of, what, what do you seek? What is Jesus looking for? Why are you talking with her? They're, they're kind of murmuring these questions back and forth with each other. They don't see the moment that has just occurred. Jesus just shared with this woman his identity, who he is. He's, he's told her about the gift that he can give her. He can give her the Holy Spirit. He can give her eternal life. She's acknowledged that, she, that, that, that Jesus is a prophet. That he, that he must be sent from God. So she is having this kind of life-changing experience. There, there's a significant moment here. And the disciples are missing it. They, they don't see it. They only see social taboo. And their cynical and skeptical questions mean they miss this moment. Jesus didn't miss the moment. This, is, this wasn't just a casual conversation for him, No. He wanted to make sure that this woman's spiritual needs, her deepest desires were spoken to, and he did that. And this woman realizes this moment. We've seen this as we progress through the conversation last week, how she comes to really a moment of acknowledging that Jesus is significant before she kind of threw him off and said, well, you're not more important than Jacob. And then she moved in the matter of a couple sentences to, you must be a prophet. So we know that that she is taking significant spiritual steps with Jesus just in this conversation. And look, we'll see another significant spiritual step for her. Look at verse 28. It says, So the woman left the water jar, and she went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. So right here we see what does the woman do? She leaves. She leaves her water jar and she goes to her town. I think that's significant. That small little detail there that she left her water jar. If you remember from last week, I mean, she's a woman who, who is, is doing some pretty um, hard physical labor here and gathering water from a well. And she happens to be doing it at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because she wants to avoid the crowd. She wants to go at a time where nobody else will be there because she is a woman who is carrying sexual shame. She is known as a woman with a sexual past. She's known as a sinner. So she doesn't want to deal with all the rumors and the murmuring in the crowd as she is going to get water. So she decides to go at the hottest part of the day. So this woman who's taking on this extra burden now leaves her water jar? Why would she do that? I think there's several reasons. One is I think she's leaving it there for Jesus. Jesus asked her for water. So now she's leaving it there so Jesus can drink. He's just journeyed about 40 miles to get to there. So he is tired. He is thirsty. So she leaves it there for him. I think she leaves it too because she knows the urgency of the moment. She's got to go back and tell her village. She's got to go back and tell everybody that she knows. And she can run a lot faster if she leaves the water jar there. I think it also indicates that she's coming back. She's not leaving it there and never coming back. She's got to tell the people of her town, and then she wants to come back with them. 
This woman says, look at her phrase when she gets into the town, come, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. That phrase right there, just as what starts verse 29, come and see. This is exactly what Philip said to Nathanael. You have to come and see. This is, this is Philip who became a disciple of Jesus. Nathaniel as well became a disciple of Jesus. This woman of Samaria is showing herself to be a, a model witness. She's acting like a disciple of Jesus. She's saying, come and see. You have to encounter this man. She says, he has told me everything that I've done. Now, what does she mean by that? If you remember from last week, Jesus asked her, hey, where is your husband? And she said, well, I, I have no husband. Jesus' response was, you tell the truth. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. You're cohabitating. So the woman gives a little bit of truth, but Jesus unpacks the entire truth. Now, we don't have, I don't think, the full conversation that Jesus had with this woman. But this woman says Jesus has, to, has shown her everything that she has done. Maybe she knows, well, if Jesus knows my sexual past, if Jesus knows all the broken marriages that, I, that I've had, and, 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 and he knows the, the sinful lifestyle I'm living now, surely he knows everything. So maybe she's kind of exaggerating, logically exaggerating that this man knows, well, he knows everything about me. And then she says, can this be the Christ? Now, in the English, it's hard to really grasp the, um, the meaning from what's been constructed here for us in Greek. You see, in Greek, you could construct a question in a way that anticipated either a negative answer or a positive answer. And the way this is constructed here by the gospel writer John is that it is, it is anticipating a negative answer. Meaning, this woman is very excited She's very eager. She's very urgent to go share this experience that she's had with Jesus. She's seeing Jesus now as more of a substantial, uh, godly person. So she is moving spiritually. But I would say at this moment, she's not yet crossing that line of saying who Jesus is completely as he should be treated. She's not yet fully crossed that line into belief. A way we could translate this question is this. This can't be the Christ, can it? You see, the way it's phrased that way, it kind of tilts towards the negative. She's starting out, this can't be the Christ, can it? So there's a a sense of, of doubt here. She's still in process as she gets to her village. This, I think, shows us a very important truth. As we journey spiritually, it may be at different paces. Some of us may have more questions than others. For some of us, it's going to be a a quicker decision. For others, it's going to be a slower decision. But that decision or that process, as each step is taken, there may be excitement and hesitation at the same time. And I think that's where this woman is at. Now, we're going to get to the, the end of kind of this story and see that, yes, she did believe. And I think she would, with her village at the very end, confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But at this moment, she's still in process. But she can say enough and witness enough to her village that they must investigate. Look at verse 30. It says, they went out of the town. After talking to this woman, hearing all this report that she said, they have to investigate for themselves. Now, this is so interesting the woman who is trying to avoid the crowds, the woman who is afraid of the shame that she wore on herself, the woman who would uh, try to avoid people, avoid rumors, avoid murmuring, avoid the gossip, is now running to her town, running to the crowd, and saying, look, many of you know my past, but let me tell you a man who's not a part of this town, who's told me everything, and he has made these promises. Promises of giving the Spirit. Promises of giving life-giving water. Spiritual satisfaction that would well up to eternal life. You have to listen to this guy. And whatever she said, it convinced the village to come out. This woman 
who probably would not have been treated as a good witness in court, has said enough to persuade her village to come and meet Jesus. So surprising. She realizes the moment. The village realizes the moment. She may not fully have crossed the line into devoted follower of Jesus Christ, but she is so very close, and she understands the urgency of the time. Now, sadly, the disciples will not. As we see, the village right now is, uh, or the woman is at the village, and they're coming, but Jesus is going to have kind of an extended conversation with his disciples. As this kind of town is coming toward him, Jesus is going to speak to his disciples. He's going to speak to them because he's disappointed that they have missed this moment. They don't see what he sees. They don't see what this woman sees. They don't see what the village sees. They don't see the moment. Instead, they're going to be caught up with a meal. They're going to be caught up with needs. They're going to be caught up with obligations and priorities that are good, but they are distracting from this wonderful, spiritual life-changing moment. Look how Jesus talks to his disciples. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They've, they've all journeyed about 40 miles on foot in about a day and a half. So think about it. It's almost like they've traveled two, two marathon distances, if you will, in less than 48 hours. I mean, these guys are tired. They need to refuel, right? They're, they're all probably a little grumpy or, or as we call it in the Crandall house, uh, they're hangry, right? They're hungry and angry at the same time, right? Everybody's maybe a little bit agitated. So they say, Jesus, you have to eat. Now you got to feel that Jesus has already expressed his need to the woman. He said, I'm thirsty. Will you give me something to drink? So Clearly, Jesus is feeling uh, weary from his journey. So eating food, this is not an excessive idea. This is a, a necessary idea. But Jesus can sense his disciples don't get what's happening. They don't see the moment. They're seeing a meal. They're being distracted by good things, but they're being distracted from the more important things. And look at Jesus' comment. Because he kind of distances himself from his disciples. Look at verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now right there, those two pronouns, I and you, they're, they're emphatic in the Greek. They're not, they're not needed, but they're inserted by the author. So he puts those in there, and we can't really tell in the, in the English just the rough translation. But it'd be a good thing just to embolden those, to make those bold, the I and the you. There's an emphasis he's saying. You could almost take it as Jesus has kind of gesturing, saying, I have food that you do not know about. What is Jesus doing there? I think Jesus sees that they want to share the food that they've purchased. But I think Jesus sees that he has a different type of food, and he is afraid that they are not interested in sharing in that food. So Jesus, already you can feel he's kind of setting up a rebuke. It's a teaching moment right now here for Jesus. Jesus is probably the one who sent them to get the meal. I mean, he's the leader. He's the teacher. So it's not that they're doing something wrong, but they're missing what's more important. Look at how Jesus elaborates or the disciples, you could tell, are puzzled. Look at verse 33. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? You see that they don't get it. And I love this. And honestly, when I was reading this again and studying it, I, I laughed in my office when I read this, read this part here. Because again, I just saw Jesus doing something he's, he's already done before. Jesus is using food and using that term with a deeper meaning, kind of a double level of meaning. He's not talking about physical food. We're going to see that he's talking about spiritual food. And Jesus uses this kind of double level of meaning. And what happens is people misunderstand. The disciples here misunderstand. 
This is the third time Jesus has done this very same kind of teaching practice in just the two chapters we've covered over the last three weeks. We saw with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus goes to Nicodemus and says, you, you must be born again. And Nicodemus thinks, wait a second, born again? So I have to enter into my mother's womb again? And Jesus looks at him puzzled. No, I'm not talking about the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual. You must be born again. You need spiritual new birth. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he tells her, I can give you living water. And she looks at him and thinks, spring water, moving water, this is what you can give me? And Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about just physical water. I'm talking about spiritual water. I'm talking about water that will well up into eternal life. I'm talking about the gift of the Spirit, of God dwelling in you. You're missing it. This is the same thing that's going to happen with the disciples. Jesus is not talking about just physical food here. He's talking about spiritual food. Look at how he unpacks it for them. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What a wonderful illustration that Jesus is putting forth or a wonderful analogy that Jesus is putting forth. If you just think of food, you think of hunger, it's a, there's a daily reminder of our physical need that it's always present before us. We, we, we can hear our stomachs groan, and we know when mealtime is, and if we skip a certain meal, we're, we're going to feel it a couple hours later. We're going to lose energy. We're always very uh, aware of our appetite, always very aware of our physical need for food. What Jesus is saying This is how we should be aware of our spiritual need. Jesus is saying that we're all very aware of of daily food. But what about daily obedience? That it's true that that my stomach groans for food when, when I haven't eaten for a while. But do I groan for obedience? To know, am I doing the will of God today, this hour, if I miss a time? If I lapse in my obedience, do I have a spiritual groaning in me, a hunger? Do I get spiritual hunger pains to be obedient, to seize godly moments, to obligate myself to sacrifice for others, to to extend myself in kindness to others? Do I have spiritual hunger that supersedes physical hunger? That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, guys, it's not, it's not that this meal is bad. I'm hungry too. But you're missing the moment right now. That, that something has happened in this conversation with this woman. And something is happening in this village. And people's lives are about to be changed. There's a significant spiritual moment upon us. And you're talking about bread? And you're talking about a meal? And you're pushing me, you know, you're, you're pushing food in front of my face. Dude, don't you see? Are you blind to what's going on spiritually? Jesus cannot have this in his followers. If they're going to carry on the mission that he's going to leave them with, then they need to be spiritually focused. They need to have a, a, a clarity of vision to look for open doors, to look for opportunities, to see spiritual moments. They can't get caught up in the the busyness and the kind of the the whirlwind of obligations and the, the clutter of needs. They can't get caught up in all of these things. They must must have a a laser like focus on what is God aligning for me right now? What are the spiritual moments I can capture right now and get everything out that they have to offer? He needs a sense of urgency in his disciples. Look at how he expresses that. Jesus is going to kind of switch up his illustration or analogy. He's going to now move to kind of a more farming analogy. And he's going to take this phrase that's probably a a Palestinian uh, farming uh, proverb or, or motto or saying. Look at what he says, verse 35. Do you not say, so he's saying, hey, this is kind of what generally people say in, in, in Palestine. There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. What is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying you guys have this, um, this saying that, 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 that 
growth is slow and that you have to be patient as a, a, a farmer. That, that, that there's four months and then the harvest. He's probably referring to kind of the time gap between the last time something was sown in the ground and when it was harvested. There's that four months. So the idea that Jesus is saying, you have this kind of idea that, that there's separate times for things and there's no need to hurry and you need to be patient. And Jesus is saying, no, this is not how it works spiritually. You need to have urgency. None of, this, none of this waiting four months. None of this, well, it's over here. We'll just wait. We'll kind of sit back. We'll relax, and then we'll come back. No, Jesus is saying, I, no, that's not what I want. Look what he says. Verse, halfway through verse 35. Look. This is a command of Jesus. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. What is Jesus doing? My best guess of what's happening right now is Jesus is actually pointing to the villagers that are coming. When he says, look, I think he's showing his disciples, maybe grabbing Peter by the shoulders, pointing out and say, look, do you see that? Do you see who's coming? The harvest is white. You guys are talking about bread. You're talking about a meal. You're talking about how we're all, we're, we're all hungry and we need food, but what about the hunger to do the will of God? Look what you missed. Look at this, these, these people. Look at this, this mass of people who are now coming toward me. Do you see that the harvest is white? Verse 36, and already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. He says, look at this. I'm about to gain followers, gain believers. People's lives are about to be changed. I'm receiving my wages. I'm receiving benefit here. And the gift of eternal life is about to go out. You guys have to see this. You have to grasp this moment. It says, so the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. In this context, Jesus is both of them. Right? Jesus has just sown a seed into this woman. He's had a, a conversation with this woman that has moved her spiritually so radically that she throws off all of her, her, her kind of um, holding on of shame. She throws off all of that kind of embarrassment. She eagerly runs and becomes a spokesman, a witness to the same caliber that Philip did to Nathaniel just a couple chapters ago. She's acting like a disciple. She's a persuasive preacher, if you will, to her town that this woman with no reason for anybody to believe her is now believed and now they're all eager coming towards Jesus. Jesus is saying, I seized a moment. I captured this moment and I'm bringing out everything that this, this moment has to offer. Look, I sowed and immediately if I, I'm reaping a harvest. Jesus is not saying, oh, I'm going to wait four months. No, it's been maybe 40 minutes. I don't know how long the journey is. Jesus said, I put the seed in the ground and look, it's starting to bear fruit. You guys have to see this. Jesus presses another saying, kind of another uh, Palestinian farming proverb or, or, or motto. Look what he says in verse 37. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that from which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. One sows and another reaps. See, the ancient Near East, the, those two kind of um, roles were often seen as kind of opposites. The, the planter and the harvester, the, the one who sows and one who reaps. Oftentimes, and even in biblical literature, in, New, in Old Testament literature, we do see this kind of um, contrast between these two. And it's kind of cast in a negative light that, you, that really the sower is the one who doesn't receive great benefit. And so they're kind of seen in a negative light. It's the one who gets the harvest, that one's seen in the positive light. So there's almost this idea of those that are not blessed and those that are 
blessed. And Jesus is saying, no. He's saying the sower and the harvester, they're rejoicing together. And there is a teamwork here that some people have labored and you are receiving the fruits of those labors. Look at verse 38. I sent you to reap that from which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying, you see this whole town coming toward me, coming toward us? This is a work that you are about to enjoy. We know that Jesus' disciples are already doing ministry. We saw in John chapter 4, verse 2, they're already baptizing people. So we know that Jesus has already commissioned them to do work. And Jesus is saying, look at these people. I mean, the fruit is just falling off the tree. These people have questions. They are eager. You're about to enter into the fruits of somebody else's labor. Now, whose labor is he speaking of? It says others have labored. So it's in the plural. I think there's several candidates here, and all may be true. John the Baptist would minister in this region or did minister in this region, at least close to it, about maybe 40, 30 miles away. So it's very fair to say that John the Baptist may be the candidate he's talking about, that John the Baptist and his disciples, who was the forerunner to Jesus, the cousin of Jesus, who said kind of preparing, he said that he was preparing the way for Jesus. He's the one that first looked at Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And some of his disciples went to follow him. Even in John chapter 3, it says that, that John the Baptist rejoiced that Jesus' ministry was outpacing him. So the idea of the sower and the reaper rejoicing together, this may be a prime candidate here. Jesus saying, look, John did the hard work and we are reaping the benefits. Jesus could be referring also to himself and to the woman. When he says others, he could be speaking, hey, I sold this seed into this woman. I had this conversation with her and now it's radically changing her and now radically changing this village. She could be seen as the one who has labored as well. She went to the village. She spoke to them. And now this village is coming to Jesus. Think about the the contrast there. I think this is a this is a this is a dig that Jesus is giving his disciples. Here's what I mean by that. So his disciples go into the town to buy food. And they have little if any spiritual impact as they went into town. They come back and nobody's with them. Nobody's eager to hear about Jesus. Jesus is on the outskirts of the town at a place that would not normally be visited at that time. And one person from that village happens to come to meet Jesus. One person who is not probably would be somebody who would be picked as being the prime uh, spiritual candidate for conversion. But a woman who probably would, would be placed on the other side of that. A woman that would be hard to reach spiritually. And yet this one woman, who's not a candidate for conversion, has this radical conversation with Jesus. She goes out and now the town comes to him. I think this is a little bit of a, 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 a contrast, a comparison, where Jesus is essentially saying, I have outperformed you and this woman. She has outperformed you. You're my disciples. You've been doing ministry. You've been baptizing. I've made promises that you would see great things, great works. You've seen miracles and signs. You know what I can do. And yet when you come back, all you bring is food. All you bring is a meal. All you bring is bread. I didn't even go into the town. I met one person and now the whole town is coming to me. They missed the moment for a meal. And now we're going to see the harvest of that moment. Look at verse 38, sorry, 39. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. 
And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Remarkable. They go and they meet Jesus. They persuade Jesus to kind of stay in their town for two days. Who knows what conversations they have. It would, be, it would be great to have been there and to, to have heard what was going on. But th- there are some that believe this woman's testimony and they started to take steps in believing uh, uh, who Jesus is saying that he is. But then they meet Jesus. And now they take another step forward and they tell the woman, hey, it's not just what you said, but now we believe because we've encountered Jesus ourselves. I don't, I don't think they're, they're speaking disparagingly on the woman like your testimony was no good. They're just saying, now we believe because we have seen. This is the same type of progression that happened with Nathaniel. We saw this in John chapter 1, that, that, that Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, you must come and see. And then Nathaniel has this encounter with Jesus, and then he says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Right, Nathaniel was intrigued by Philip's conversation. Philip said, come and see, just like the woman did. The, the mere image that you have between the disciples and this woman, or at least kind of Philip and Nathaniel and this woman and the village, is, 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 is undeniable. This woman is showing herself to be a model witness, a model disciple, and she brings people to Jesus, and this town believes in Jesus. They confess that He is the Savior of the world, which is a pretty dynamic phrase to say. Knowing what we know from the history we kind of unpacked last week, that the animosity and hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans was so heavy. I mean, they did not like each other. They were in great conflict. And we're not just saying that they rooted for different sports teams. No. We're talking about the Jews destroyed the temple of the Samaritans. The Samaritans desecrated the temple of the Jews just not that long ago from actually this moment. That there was even uh, uh, blood that was shed by the Samaritans as they killed pilgrims who were coming from Galilee to Jerusalem. I mean, these guys don't like each other, but the Samaritans say that Jesus is the Savior of the world, which means what? He's the Savior of all of us, Jews and Samaritans. Jews and, are, you know, our hated enemies and us. He's the Savior of the world. It's very reminiscent to what John the Baptist said. When the John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Savior means. The one who comes, who rescues, who solves the problem, and the problem is sin. So now these these. Samaritans, who Jews would, would think are half-breeds and kind of ignorant religious people, syncretistic people, people who would compromise. They were, they were liberal, if you will, in their theology. They served and worshiped other gods, and all of their practices were wrong, and they, they weren't pure bloods when it came to their Jewish heritage. And yet, they make one of the most clear and concise confessions in the Gospel of John. The Pharisees miss it, the religious teachers. Nicodemus, himself a religious teacher, he misses it, but not the Samaritans. These, these, these people that we would believe are not great candidates for conversion make a crystal clear confession of who Christ is. Remarkable. Why? Because Jesus saw the moment. And he didn't miss that moment for a meal. He wasn't distracted by, by hunger or obligation or need or different priorities. He had a laser-like focus. The conversation he had with this woman at the well, he didn't just have it as a gentleman. It wasn't just polite. It wasn't just casual. Jesus had this conversation as somebody who was looking at everything through a spiritual lens. He knew the deepest desire that lie in this lady's heart. He knew her needs. He knew her past. He knew her shame. 
And he did not let that moment get away from him. If Jesus was going to leave the mission that he has from his father to his disciples, they must change their perspective. They must see the moment and not miss it for a meal. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the same is true for you as well. The same is true for me. We cannot miss the moment for a meal. And look, where we are right now, many of us are literally thinking about a meal. We're thinking about how we can provide the next meal for our families. I just talked to a friend just yesterday whose company is going to be laying off 600 people, 600 employees. And he's hoping that he'll have a position that he can uh, uh, fulfill, that that he can still be a part of that company. You know, imagine the hundreds of people being laid off. The unemployment rate that's still high. I mean, many of us are thinking about needs. We're thinking about meals, maybe literally a meal, or we're thinking about all the other obligations or the bills or the debts and all these different things. And that's not a bad thing. Our families need to be fed. We need to be fed. We need to be thinking about these things. That's, that's true. I hope you don't take away from this message that you should feel guilty about thinking about those things. You should think about those things. What I'm saying is just don't let them clutter your vision, distract you from the moment. And what moment is upon us? The severity of the moment upon us spiritually is great. I just read an article from the National Census Bureau and Health Services. They did a survey in the third week of July. They did the same survey last year, and they did it again this year. So the data is a little bit dated by a couple weeks. And in this survey, here's what they found. They found that 30% of adult Americans are showing symptoms of depressive or depressive disorders. Last year, that number was about 6%. The same survey showed that about 36% 36% of adult Americans were showing symptoms of anxiety disorders. Last year, it was about 8%. So we're talking about a five-fold increase roughly and a four-fold increase roughly in depression and anxiety amongst adult Americans. That is a health Crisis. That is a mental health crisis. Adults in our nation right now, and when I think we can expand this even globally, are losing their joy. And they are paralyzed at the uncertainty of the future. Yet there is a message of hope. The message of Jesus Christ. And it is time that we share it. We cannot miss the severity of this moment. We can't get caught up in the obligations, financial, familial, relational, our our, our job obligations. All of those things need to be attended to. All those things we need to think about. But we cannot let them distract us from the moment of crisis that is happening right now for Americans and for our, our, our global kind of uh, uh, humanity. That depression and anxiety are skyrocketing. That people just can't seem to be happy in the moment. And when they think about what's next, they cower in fear. The uncertainty is just too much. And yet as Christians, we have a message of hope. So my challenge to you this week is share that message. Share that hope. I want to challenge you to invite one person, one person to one of our gatherings, whether that be the online gathering that we offer every Sunday morning, twice, 
whether that be uh, at our, our worship night, our in the parking lot, maybe that's the gathering you want to invite him to. Or maybe it's when we uh, kick off our parking lot services on August uh, 23rd. Pick one of those. Take some time. Pray about it. Focus in on that one person. All you have to do is say, hey, friend, would, would you mind? My church is holding a service in the parking lot, and I'd love for you to come with me. Man, I know these times are crazy, and maybe spiritual things is not for you, but I would still just love for you to come with me because it's going to encourage me, and I just want to see it encourage you as well. I think you'd be surprised at the people that that would join you. And don't miss that invitation that you give. You may be entering into the labor of another. God may be seizing this moment, and I think he is seizing this moment for millions of Americans— That he is taking this moment right now and he is spiritually churning people up. Forcing them to be curious about eternal things. Bringing to the forefront of their mind the frailty of their life. And so he may be doing a work already. By the time you get the nerve to make that invitation, they might have said, oh man, I'm so glad that you asked me. I've been looking and waiting and I've been thinking about it. And you know I'm not a person who reads the Bible But man, with all the craziness going on, man, I'm open. I'd love to come with you. Invite one person. One person this week. Seize the moment. Take the opportunity. Now maybe you're listening to this and you're feeling depressed. And you're feeling anxious. And maybe these feelings, you would say were were somewhat foreign to you until we entered into the time that we're in. And you're to the point now, as we've been in months of this, that these feelings are, they're overwhelming. Maybe if you're honest, you've had some dark thoughts that you never imagined you would have. Maybe you're asking questions you never thought you would ask yourself. Maybe you're saying, can I make it? Can I, can I get through this? Should I just end this? And maybe it terrifies you that you've entertained that question. Maybe that you've thought about answering those questions in a way that you know You don't really want to. And you're frightened that your mind has gone that far. Friend, I want to tell you, there is hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. His death and his resurrection are the means by which all of your sins can be forgiven. And you can be restored to a right relationship with God, your creator. And when you have peace with God, there is no amount of unrest that can shake that away from you. You can truly have joy in the midst of chaos. When you have the hope of heaven even though the future is uncertain, you can be settled. You can be grounded. When you know your sins are forgiven, when you know that you're right with God, when you know that he wants to reside within you, just like he spoke to this woman at the well, you know he wants to live in you and live with you forever. When you know that solid truth, that anchors you in the midst of any storm. It may not make the storm go away, but it will calm the sailor. It'll calm your heart. It'll quiet those emotions. That even though everything may be uh, 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 just, just, just littered with unrest and there is no peace outside of you, there is a peace inside of you. Even though nothing outside of you looks happy, there's going to be joy inside of you. Even though the future looks, looks bleak and, and dark, you have a hope that will see you beyond those bleak days, those dark days, that you will know 
eternity with Christ forever. My prayer today is that you would have a moment with God. That you would see your need for Him and that you would respond to His gracious invitation for you to have a relationship with Him. I pray that you would see Christ and you would run like this village to Him and confess that He is the Savior of the world. Pray with me. Father, we love You. And we thank You for who You are to us in Jesus Christ. You are so gracious and You are so kind. Father, we thank You that You sent us Your Son. Your Son who gives us peace with You because of His death and resurrection that he has wiped away all of our sin, taken away all of our shame, that there is no more regret that holds on to us. But we are right with you. And that truth will ring for eternity. We will know what it is to be loved by you forever. And there is nothing in this world that can take that away. Oh, Father, continue to give us that hope ground that truth in our heart that we may endure this time right now. Father, I pray for those who are thinking of that one friend that they can invite to one of our gatherings. Father, I pray you be working already. That by the time they get to that invitation, they will feel they have entered into the labor of another. That you, Holy Spirit, would already be working. And there would be so much eagerness on the phone with a, yes, I would love to come, that they feel like, man, that was an easy work to do. I pray, Father, that you would do that. And Father, for those that are listening right now, you may not have hope in you. Father, I pray they would have a moment with you right now. If they feel estranged from you, they feel the weight of their sin. They know the shame and regret in their life. They feel the brokenness that surrounds them and the brokenness within. That they don't have a joy that can outlast this pandemic. They don't have a a, a hope and a peace that can endure during this suffering. Oh, Father, I pray you'd have a moment with them right now. I pray they would reach out to you in faith. I pray that they would turn from their sin, that they would trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and they would start following you today. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. We look forward to seeing you next week.